Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. thankful for your presence and your power and the way you move in us and through us. Pray as we dive into to your calling for our church specifically and the church in general this morning, that you'll continue to stir our hearts and to transform who we are. Make us more like you in every aspect of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'm a uh, didn't plan on starting the message out this way, but I'm, I'm overwhelmed this morning with uh, my love for the church. Like, I mean, we're talking about our church's mission, right? We're talking about this, this theme that we started last week. And today we're talking about community and what it means to, to be the church. And when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, gathering like it's supposed to, it changes changes individual lives, it changes the world. I think back on my experience as a believer, as a kid, as a teenager, at college, out of college, in my first role in ministry, even now, every time that I've been through some kind of <clears throat> roller coaster, whether it was a low spot or a high spot, whether it was uh, mourning or whether it was a struggle that I was facing, a sin that ha had power over me, all throughout my life, whenever there was a time where breakthrough happened, whenever there was a time where freedom happened, it was always because of the community and around me being involved. Yes, Jesus did it. Yes, Jesus transformed my heart. Yes, Jesus is the one changing the world, but he does it through his church. And last week we looked at the fact that it, was, it is that we see in Genesis and then we see in Revelation that, that God's plan was not to have earth and heaven separated, but together. That from the beginning to the end, the plan was always to have heaven and earth united. And we kind of did a, an overview of the whole book of Acts. And we, we looked specifically at Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and, and, and dove into his ascension. And how that meant that, that there was a part of earth in heaven, namely Jesus his resurrected human body 
was earth in heaven, and then Pentecost was the breath of heaven in earth. That it was the uniting of the two. And in that moment, Jesus takes his throne as, as king of the cosmos, right? He takes his throne and he's now ruling and reigning. We're not, the church isn't waiting for Jesus to come back and then he'll be in charge. Then he'll be on his throne. He is now ruling and reigning. And that meant that the church is now on the move. The way God was accomplishing heaven and earth together was through the church. So when we looked at, we're breaking kind of our, our mission to love God and love others and our mission to, to go and make disciples of all nations, we're breaking it down into three parts. It's mission, community, and worship. So we looked at the mission part of the church. And it was the fact that the way God is bringing heaven to earth is through the church. And this shapes our mission at Revive. We, we highlighted three things that we want to do throughout this year. We've got real specific, right? We want to continue the box of non-perishable foods. We want to continue living with wise generosity. And we want to participate in at least four no-strings-attached mission projects. We're able to serve our community with no kind of, we don't want to manipulate them. We're not trying to grow the church. We are simply serving our community. And that was how we were shaping the mission of our goal as a church. And today we, we kind of, last week was a big overview of Acts. Today we're zooming in. We're zooming way in. We looked at the whole book last week, highlighting a few verses throughout the book. Today we're looking at one chapter. Specifically, we're going to dive into one verse. And even deeper than that, we're going to one word. So I'm only preaching on a word today. It's still going to be long, okay? <laughs> no, but we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. So I'm going to look at chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 40 through 47. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt nation. Okay, so context. Peter has preached the first sermon, right? We've had Pentecost. Peter's preached. And then it says, in many other words. So he preached and then preached again. Okay, so I'm not that long with it, all right? And he preached with many other words. And he gave them this warning, saying, do not be, do not, uh, or save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke the, they broke the bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I want to dive in specifically to that verse when it says, they were together. Now this is after Peter's sermon, and this is kind of the aftermath of this, of this moment. And this is, it's chaos. Like it's pure chaos. The church, there was about 120 people who were in this move, they, they, they were later named Christians because Christ was their leader, right? So they were following Jesus. That's who, how they defined themselves. And there was 120 of them, right? That, I mean, that's a big group to us, but that's not that many people. And there's this giant festival going on around them that has people from all over the world gathered there. You, have, uh, you can read there's, there's Jews and Gentiles, 
Parthians, Egyptians, Libyans, Arabs, Cretans, Romans, thousands and thousands of people are in this city. It's not the normal group of people that are there. But they have this moment, this powerful moment where the Holy Spirit, where heaven enters earth. Peter preaches this sermon. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't the most greatest sermon ever preached, but it was powered by the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, 3,000 people were added. Three, from 120 to 3,120. Now, this is a nightmare. If you were in charge of leading this, the stress is through the roof. I mean, can you imagine that in business where they talk about things being scalable? Christianity hadn't done the research to make it scalable. The Holy Spirit was moving it, and they were figuring it out. It wasn't pretty. It was messy. And this group with this large, I mean, think about this large group of people that come from all over the world. There would have been differences, major differences, political, racial, financial, different personalities, different temperaments. Imagine going from 120 to 3,120. And later we see 2,000 more, and it just continues to explode and grow. I mean, when I was reading and thinking about this, I kind of did the old kind of analogy illustration for us today. Like, imagine we're meeting in an upper room on the square, let's say the roof of Mystic, right? We're sharing a meal together, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes on, and this also happens to be the lighting of the square. There's this religious festival that's happening. And there's thousands of people that just flood to our city. Thousands of people, like people in our in our country, celebrate Christmas whether they're Christians or not. Right? It's become a secular thing. So there's thousands of people. There's different political backgrounds. There's different religious beliefs. There's different. There's just that. They're just all there to celebrate the lighting of the square with Santa Claus and the Christmas tree and all this stuff is happening. And then somebody gets up from that rooftop and a mystic and begins to preach. Not not the preacher. Right, someone who doesn't have experience public speaking, they get up and they preach this message. It's not eloquent, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people join the movement. You're going to have all kinds of different people. You're going to have vegans and meat lovers, wealthy and poor, young and old, tech illiterate and tech addicted. Quiet people, loud people, shy people, bold people, extroverts, introverts, Georgia Tech fans, people who enjoy college football, Republicans, (laughs) Democrats, Trump supporters, Biden supporters, people who are for abortion, against abortion, any other hot topics that I'm forgetting, things that are politically charged, that cause division, where people cannot be more different, yet they all have something about them that unites them, and that is they have been joined together because they follow Jesus Christ. All these people with all these differences, differences that often clash violently, are defined by something different. It's not their political views, it's not their gender, it's not their orientation, it's not their race, it's not their Enneagram number, it's not their sports team. Those things are important, but what defines them is their identity in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new has come. These people would be defined 
by something different, something greater than their differences. There's an ancient Greek writer that did a lot of uh, political and social writing, and a lot of people read him and followed him. His name was Lucian of Semisada, right? And he uh, watched as Christianity grew in the Greek world, and he hated it. He did not like it at all. One of his writings, he's quoted to say this, their founder, right, that is Jesus Christ, their founder persuades them that they should be like brothers to one another and despise their own privacy and view all their possessions as common property. He saw that Jesus was taking these people who were incredibly different, but they were setting their differences aside. Not one, not, they're not getting away from their, their individuality, right? But they're setting their differences aside because they love Jesus. And there's this bond that happens where they look at their neighbor no matter how different, and they see that they love Jesus, and they want to gather together Romans 12, 10 says to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's the calling to gather and be there for one another. They all had this new thing in common. They were transformed by the they were transformed by Jesus, and they are now following him. So what about our specific verse and our specific word? Acts 2, 44 says that all the believers were together and held all things in common. And I want to zoom into that instead of that. Look at where it says they were together. It says they were. Were is the word I want to focus on. And I want us to see the strength of this wording. Why it's so important when it says that they were together. We see in, in later in this text and a couple other places in the book of Acts, it says that they met together. Right? So they could have used that same language. If they were coming together, they could have said that they met together. But they didn't say that. It says that they were together. Why is this so strong? Because where did they meet? Where did they meet? Everywhere. Whenever, in the temples, but also in their homes. And whenever they were doing life, they were meeting together. Where did they meet? Everywhere. When did they meet? Constantly. Relentlessly. All the time, continuously. It says every day, every day they gathered in the temple to worship, to learn, to do all the other things that they did, which we'll get into later in the next week, right? They did all these things, but they did it together. Every day they gathered in the temple. <coughs> but then it would spill over. It would spill over and they would begin gathering in homes. So they would gather in the temple, and they would worship, and they would feel the move of God. They would be in each other's presence, and they would be so on fire for what was happening. It spills over, and it wouldn't just be contained in the temple. It would go into their homes. There was as the large groups and in small groups. They, kept, they couldn't get enough of each other. Over and over again, they would come together. <clears throat> it says that they, they met in the temple. They met in the homes every day. It was almost like the, the, the regular part of life, the everyday parts of life, was what was inconvenient, right? Like the, their gathering was what they wanted so much to do the mundane day-to-day -day stuff was getting in the way of their gathering. You can, they're, they're coming together with, if you kind of, you can look at the book of Acts and you don't ever see this, uh, this plea to gather. Now church leaders, like myself, have uh, longed for everybody to be there on Sunday mornings, right? 
And every church I've ever been a part of, there's been meetings and stuff. How can we get people to come on Sunday morning? Because you never have everybody there, right? You get together. I have a, a group of pastors that I gather with monthly, and we kind of just kind of talk about how things are going and bounce ideas off of each other and stuff like that. And uh, inevitably, there's somebody said, well, if we would have had everybody there this week. We would have had this many, right? And there's this sense of, like, there's this longing to get everybody together. And, and I've never done this, okay, because I'm glad to have whoever's here here, and we're going to worship no matter what. But I have heard pastors not so subtly give a guilt trip, right? Especially like on Easter or Christmas when you've got everybody at church and it's like, why aren't you here every week? Why aren't you at every meeting? Why aren't you at every gathering? I'll never forget, I traveled on the youth ministry one summer and we were at this uh, church camp in the mountains of Kentucky and it was very, very... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, structured and old school and um, religious. And it was, I had a friend who was uh, on ministry team wearing a Michael Jackson shirt and got in trouble for having Michael Jackson on his shirt. Day one. Okay, so it was it was an interesting experience. And I, there was one night, we kind of, every night there was a gathering where everybody came together. You had like this rally. There would be basically like a worship service. And, um, it was really powerful, and there's lots of teenagers from all kinds of uh, backgrounds, and obviously they didn't fit the mold of everybody, all the leaders that were here, but it was a powerful moment, and the guy gets up on stage, and almost like, I don't remember his words, but you could just feel the, the room kind of change as he got on to these teenagers for not being at church like the, on Sunday like they were at this camp, and it was like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is not the time or the place. Right? But there is, this, there is this longing to have everybody together. But you never see in the book of Acts a command or a plea to get the groups together. You don't see it. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to try to implore your neighbor to get to church or a family member. It's not wrong to invite them and try to get them to come with you. But you don't see it happen in Acts. And why is that? Because they didn't have to. This group, they couldn't get together enough. They couldn't get them to stop meeting. This was radical. They wanted to be together. The things of life were seen as getting in the way for them gathering, and they were gathered every single day. Every day. They were individuals. Now they were a community. They were apart. Now they were together. Being together was not something that they were, they weren't coming together. They had become together. They weren't coming together. They had become together. They were united. They could not be stopped. They were devoted to each other. They couldn't imagine not being together. Tim Keller says that this, why would they be like this? It's because it was a sign of life. Just like you don't have to tell a baby to cry. If it's alive, it cries. If people who are alive in Christ, they want to meet and be a part of life with other people who are alive in Christ. It makes me think about uh, some of the uh, most exciting moves of God that I felt in college would happen to be around a, um, a Bible study that kind of formed up with a, a group of baseball players. And it started out, it was some of the baseball players and it was some of, the, some of us uh, religious students that also liked sports, which wasn't all of them, right? And we would go to the baseball games, made friendships, and so we would have a, a Bible study in one of their apartments. And we, there was uh, one of them that loved cooking, and so Liz would cook these 
amazing meals, and she was friends with lots of baseball players, so they would come in, and it, it was just like, there was no real plan, there was no real speaker or leader or pastor, there was just a group of people who wanted to talk about Jesus, they wanted to talk about what God was doing, and we'd get together, and there'd be a meal, and there'd be music, somebody would share some kind of devotional that they had come up with like an hour before, like it wasn't anything special, and, and we, and, but God moved in a mighty way, and there were often nights where we had people who were like standing outside on the balcony to try and be a part of this Bible study because God was moving in this powerful way and it wasn't anything like eloquent or amazing. It was the fact that people were just so excited to talk about God. They wanted to talk about Him. They wanted to talk about how He was moving in their life and they couldn't wait to get in this group and share. They couldn't wait to get in this group and, and unpack how God was moving in their life because, because this gathering together was a sign of life in the church. And in the book of Acts, what do we see that they were doing as they came together? And I, you could break this into like a series five weeks long, but I'm not doing that. Okay, I'm just going to highlight the things they were doing. And I'm label them as three L's, which didn't come from me. I've heard it for many years. But they were learning, loving, and liturgy. Okay, learning, loving, and liturgy. Learning, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the fact that they were studying Scripture. They were studying the, the, the apostles' words, their letters. They were studying how the apostles unpacked the Old Testament because that was the text they had at this point. It was literally studying Scripture and the teaching of the apostles. They reflected on it. They consumed it. They loved one another. They were devoted to the fellowship. Right? They worked at being united. Being united with all those differences was not easy. They didn't get along like a lot of times we think they did. We can see Paul and, and um, Peter arguing later in the book of Acts. Like it was not clean and perfect. They had to work at it. I, uh, I'm a big sweets guy, right? And I love cookies. I love baked goods. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have baked goods than ice cream. You know what I'm talking about this before. That's, that's where, I'm, where I'm at, right? And there's been times where we've had a lot of fun as a family where we've baked cookies. And if you're making chocolate chip cookies, you bake the dough. And then you dump in the chocolate chips. If you uh, don't have a stand mixer, the dough is very tough, and you have to work the chocolate chips into the cookies. Otherwise, you're just going to have chocolate on the bottom and cookie on the top. Right? You've got to work it into the dough so that, it, so that it makes a delicious chocolate chip cookie. Community has to be worked at. If you don't, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to work. And they did the work that was required to bear each other's burdens. I don't know if you've ever had something weighing so heavy on you, bringing you down and causing you grief or, and strife and a struggle in life. It's, it's hard. It can be hard to get up in the morning. It can be hard to go throughout your day. Now imagine your neighbor is feeling those emotions. What it means to bear your burden is even though you're not going through that hardship, that you are beside them, you are with them, you are feeling that weight along with them even though it's not your burden, even though it's not your struggle. That's not easy to do, but that's what this early church did. This being devoted to fellowship was bearing each other's burdens. It was prioritizing the other person's needs over my own. They were honest with each other about their sins, about their struggles, about their doubts. They let each other in. And then in liturgy, there's this article in the, in the Greek that, that you go and you kind of study the Greek. You can read commentaries and everybody talks about it. Because it doesn't just say they broke bread together. That could be eating a meal, right? Which is, they did that. But it says they broke the bread. This is communion. 
This is sharing the Lord's Supper. This is remembering that Jesus died on the cross, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for their forgiveness, for them to have life. Jesus went to the cross. So when it says they they had the breaking of bread and prayers, it's not just eating, but it's worship. It's corporate worship coming together and worshiping the triune God for what he has done for us, for who he is. So as they gathered, committed to each other every day, they were learning, loving, and participating in liturgy, this corporate worship. They did it in large groups and small groups. They did it in the temple and in homes. How did they do it? Because if you've ever had to gather with people that have different personalities than you, different political views, different methodology in parenting, it can be messy. There can be arguments. There can be disagreements. So how did they do it? And it's highlighted in Acts 2.47 by praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. God was central. Jesus was central. They had been radically energized by their new life in Christ. And they realized that by meeting together with this diverse group of people, and by joining with them in learning, loving, and liturgy, this energy, this life that had happened, it grew. It grew in their hearts, it grew in them, and they grew, and they grew as a church. When I in that same ministry team, as we would go from camp to camp, one phrase we heard over and over again was that enthusiasm is contagious, right? Especially you get to like Wednesday, halfway through the week, and these teenagers are not going to sleep. They're staying up till like 4 a.m. hanging out with their buddies, and then they wake up at like 8 a.m. for breakfast, and you have activities like jumping in giant mud puddles and tug of war and water and uh what are those things called? Uh, what, not water slides, but uh, slipping slides. you got all this stuff happening all throughout the day. The sun beating down. It's exhausting, right? And you get to day, to day three, and it's like, as the leaders, you are drained. Students are drained. And you can show up for that evening rally, and it's like, I mean, what are we doing here? It could be, like, dead. And so we would say enthusiasm is contagious. You can fake it till you make it. And as the the counselors and leaders, we were like, even though we were tired, we would push through it. We would be excited and we'd be dancing and yelling and doing the different chants and all this other stuff. And the students would, would buy in. You could see life kind of happen because as they saw the life we had, they began to get energized by it. And what was so cool was that as they were energized, we became to get energized. So you can get through the week just feeding off of each other's energy. There's been times in my life where God has been unbelievably powerful, doing huge things, bringing all kinds of freedom and joy and crazy moments. And it's when I gather with other Christians to talk about those moments, you can see them get energized, and then they want to talk about their moments, and then I get, and we literally, this energy feeds on each other. It's like running into old friends that you haven't seen for years, right? You pick up where you left off. You haven't seen them in forever, but you're, you begin talking, you see that you recycle the same old jokes, and they're just as funny because you have all these memories together. When the church gathered, they were remembering what Christ did. That energy that they felt at Pentecost, it was motivated, it moved them. And they would gather, get, gather together and this sign of life would continue to grow. As they gathered together, they were renewed in Christ. Life isn't always a mountaintop. We sing about it this morning how we, God can turn the, the valleys into mountains, graves into gardens. He does that through, through gathering in community. There are times where life is hard. 
And you think, well, how can you be energized when you're going through this struggle or that temptation or this loss? Or being the church, I mean, they were mourning at times. They were persecuted at times. They had, they had hardships, but they still met together because they were energized. Maybe they weren't on the mountaintop, but there was joy in the morning. There was life in the struggle. There was rejoicing in the persecution. Why? Because that, that down moment, that valley, that low point was had the energy and the life of Christ moved through the people gathering. God has a mission. He plans to use his church, but the church has to be gathering. We have to be dedicated to one another. So the question is, is this us? Is the regular parts of life, of life seen as the, the uh, burden? Do we want to gather with each other more than we want to gather on our, and do our mundane parts of life? If we look at the church broadly, especially in the church in our context, the church in North American culture, it doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like the Acts 2 church. They, they, they gather, we gather every week. I read a, a stat this week that was pre-pandemic, so it has probably changed. Pre-pandemic that the church had more people gathering in one weekend than all pro sports in North America in a whole year. Like that, that seems pretty awesome. Like that's a lot of people gathering and worshiping. But then you kind of keep reading and you realize that that's not a steady number. And that the stats of the church actually can be kind of bleak. And there were um, other surveys done, people who said that, that, like on the survey, they checked the box, I'm a Christian. They checked the box, I regularly attend church. But then they checked the box of, I attend church one, two time, one to two times a month. So they would define themselves as a regular church attending Christian, and they would attend 50% or less times a month. That's not a great number. That's not the church gathering every day. That's not the church being devoted to one another, wanting to learn, love, and practice liturgy together. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to look like that American church. I want to look like the church in Acts. That's how we accomplish our goal of loving God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's how we accomplish our goals of going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's how we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. By gathering and being devoted to one another, like the church in Acts. Now, just like last week, I want to I want to take this instruction, take with this lesson, and kind of bring it into our context. How would Christ have us gathering as the church to be like Acts two? So, starting this week, we're meeting every day. I'm just kidding. We're not doing. <laughs> we don't have the the community honor shame culture that they had in the New Testament. So it looks differently for us. We're not going to gather every day. But I do think we need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, are we really committed to one another like the church was committed to each other then? So as a church, I want to facilitate that. I want to facilitate a way for us to be together, be in community, be devoted to one another, 
in a way that makes people who don't like Christianity look and say, man, how could they put them, put aside their differences? How could they put aside, how could they love each other with that brotherly love that sacrifices self? So what I want to do is I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I want to kind of continue something we did a couple of times last year, which is sharing a meal together. So my hope is that once a month or maybe once every five to six weeks, we will have a meal at church. This will be something that the church provides So it won't cost you anything. You don't have to stress about cooking a meal. We will need volunteers to kind of help it run smoothly, although it will probably never run smoothly. Like It's a a process. But we'll share a meal together. And in this meal, I want you to challenge yourself not to sit with the same people every every week, but to, to ask, get to know each other. Get to know the ins and outs, the interests of each other's life. And this is going to be kind of a broad thing. It's going to be work. You're going to have to work here. We're going to get to know each other on a deeper level. And then the second thing, we're going to add, we're going to do these meals, but we're also going to add a second gathering. Sundays are great. I, I mean, I love coming to church and having our conversations before and after. I love hearing you guys sing and worship. I love teaching, and I love hearing teaching, and that stuff is going to happen. Sundays are amazing, but something is missing. There's a deepness. There's a conversation about what God is doing in our life, a conversation about how we can encourage and challenge one another, a chance to have, have not, not some kind of teaching and, and instruction, but a chance to talk, to ask questions, to read scripture, and to pray together. And so it, it may be in a home. I think that's what I would prefer. But it can also be here at church. But we'll gather a second time. Now, it's not. we had talked about doing a Sunday school type thing last year and doing it before the service. I don't think that's going to work because we're wanting to add other things that are going to happen before church on Sunday that will prevent us from being able to to have a a small group type gathering. So it's going to have to be a different day of the week. And it's going to require some schedule moving. It's going to require some commitment. It's going to require being devoted to one another. But I think that 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 is necessary for us to look like the Acts 2 church. They met every day. I think the least we can do is meet a couple of times a week. And then the third is we're going to continue our Sunday service, a chance for liturgy, a chance where we will gather, we will worship our triune God. Now we'll go into more detail about this because next week is talking about worship, but that's what I want to see us do. We're going to add a meal where we can fellowship. We're going to add a meeting where we can go deeper with each other. And then we're going to continue having our Sunday service. And this might not be perfect. It might not work. We might try it for, for a year, and then it would change some things around. But it's going to be our attempt at being this type of community that puts each other over ourselves, being committed to one another, showing up and being there even if it's hard, even if it means bearing the burden of our neighbor. That's what we're going to do. I hope we can commit. I hope we can devote ourselves to this put in the work that's required, and go deeper and gather in biblical community with each other. God has a mission to bring heaven to earth. Jesus is already reigning. He's already doing it. And the way he's doing that is through his church. The way we be on the mission of last week is by being a community together. We can't accomplish that mission without having the community. So let's love each other. Let's learn together. And let's participate in liturgy together. What they were together. Let us be together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Again, thank you so much for your church. Thank you so much for changing lives, for moving in mighty ways. I pray that you would continue to move here at Revive, that you would charge us, Lord, that we might be motivated and empowered and encouraged through you. Teach us what it means to be a community like the Acts 2 Church. Let us continue to grow in you and grow together. We want to be an example of heaven on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.